Thank you so much. Good morning. A wonderful day, Lord's Day. And it's always fascinating when we combine uh, the Lord's Day with a day such as Father's Day or in the prior month, Mother's Day, and try to think how, such as in the case of Father's Day, we deal with uppercase and lowercase matters simultaneously in the way in which all these things relate together. So I'd love for you this morning to take your Bibles now and join me, whether it be with your device or else hard copy, as you make your way in the Older Testament, pausing in our series in the book of Acts, uh, making our way to Deuteronomy chapter 6, which deals with the significance of the way in which a father relates to his, his family. Now, let's get our bearings here. This passage of scripture that you're looking at with me this morning, it has to do with a series of farewell addresses that Moses is delivering to the people of Israel. The older generation has now by and large passed away. He's looking at a new generation. He himself will not be the one to be able to usher these people into the land of Canaan. That'll be Joshua's responsibility. They are, right now, is he's positioned in a setting where, lovingly, it's been described as the Upper Desert Discourse. And here with this new generation now, what Moses is about to do is to be able to equip the family units to be able to move forward. And he has got a multi-generational vision in mind. And so what I want to do with you this morning as we explore this passage of Scripture together is this. I'm not talking to dads this morning. Otherwise, I'm talking to less than 50% of the people. I'd be talking to children. They're saying, this doesn't relate to me. I'm not a dad. Talking to women. They're saying the same. No, I'm talking about our dads. Your dad. My dad. That means now we're talking about all of us, you see. And uh, furthermore, by doing this, I want us to be able to ponder how do we honor our fathers? Because isn't it fascinating that in just the prior chapter, uh, Moses delivered the Ten Commandments and, among others, spoke of honor your father and your mother. And so now with this honor established, what he will now do is to teach the fathers in particular how to guide the family in an honorable way, you see. I also want you to bear in mind that they are about to enter into a pluralistic culture, the land of Canaan, a land of many false gods. And they're to bring this singular sovereign God, Yahweh, with them into that land and be able to function effectively. How do you function effectively by bringing the singular into the plural? That's what we've got to do here in the States as well. In a pluralistic culture, how do you bring the singular aspect of the I am the way, the truth, the life? No one comes to the what? Father, but through me, uttered Jesus. How do you bring that into a pluralistic culture and a pluralistic cultural mindset? We're going to be exploring that this morning. I'd love to read to you from verse 1 down through verse 9. Here you find these words. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, 
and uh, the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, And your son's son, do you see the multi-generational approach? This is vision work. By keeping all the statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now we reach the point where we enter into what is known in Judaism as the Jewish Shema. It's prayed morning and evening. It goes as follows. Hear, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets be between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So we're going to be looking at these verses and more in the coming moments. I'm going to move this mic because, as the old song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. <laughs> Just kind of came to my mind now. Let's look to our Lord in prayer, okay? Father, we love you. We love you so greatly, so deeply. As the Father, you sent the Son into this world to die for our sins. Prayerfully, we come to the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit. Now, pastorally, we recognize that there is a spectrum of experiences in relationship to our fathers. We embrace, Father, the totality, totality, totality of life, and we realize that at the same time we are dealing with fallen humanity when we talk about earthly fathers, but they are to be representatives in their fallen state of the sinless one, our Heavenly Father. And no matter if they are with us or no longer with us, we need to honor them, find ways to reflect upon what it is that we saw, what it is we can learn, how to transfer all of this into the way in which we function effectively in 2021 and beyond. These moments are important. So we're praying now once again that you would warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills, 
We've come here again now to see Jesus and him only. I'm going to pray these things still again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Late in the evening of the past few days, I, after a meeting, I did what comes natural to me, turned on a ball game. And the commentator uh, is talking about how much pressure it is for the parent to watch a, a young man on the pitcher's mound throw balls as well as strikes. And I was thinking about that because of an experience that I had years ago where my youngest was on the mound, Benjamin. He would be playing at that point for the Diamonds and then make his way to the point where he would eventually be playing collegiate ball as a pitcher. And I was standing off to the side watching the coach, you see, Burke. Burke had been highly recognized nationally for his skills, collegiate level as a pitcher. He was on his way to professional baseball when, when an injury struck the elbow, and those in baseball, they know the idea of Tommy John surgery. And so his career and his dreams and his plans were derailed. But I want to tell you, he was and is an outstanding coach, now a physical therapist, specializing in particular with, with young athletes. He's watching the, the, the movements of my son on the mound. I decided to go stand next to him and talk for a few moments. We're talking about the physicality of the pitcher and how you need to generate power from the legs and not simply rely on the shoulder or the elbow, otherwise you're gonna blow out your arm. I chime in, have they, is enough time given to talk about and instruct young pitchers regarding the nature of a mound? Each pitcher's mound is different. If you pitch the next day after it rained the prior night, your spikes are not going to hold in the dirt the way they might otherwise. And then what about that dry mound in an August day? We talk about such. All of a sudden I notice there are men on first and second base. Not good. Beck turns to me and says, what do you think? I said, you're the baseball coach. He smiles and looks at me and says, but you're the life coach. It was a profound moment. I went back home and simply jotted that little experience down. It's been over a decade since that happened. Just now utilizing it this morning. What we find is that we are living in a culture now where people increasingly are hiring life coaches. What's a life coach? A life coach is a type of wellness professional who helps people make progress in their lives in order to attain greater fulfillment. Life coaches aid their clients in improving their relationships, their careers, and day-to-day -day lives, so says an expert in life coaching. 
But if you were to ask me how do you spell life coach, I'd spell it D-A-D. What I'd love to do with you for the next few moments is to explore this idea of the Father as the life coach. Bearing in mind that we're dealing here with Moses who has seen the better days of his life and is now passing the baton on to the next generations, plural. And there's Joshua just off to the side, most likely, his right-hand man, who will be taking over Moses' work. For you see, when God buries the workman, he does not bury the work. And though we buried my father three years ago, the same time, you have to live life. And the family goes on living life, you see. So what I want to do with you this morning now is to draw three, I believe, significant insights that are found here in these verses that simply relate to the way in which all of this pertains to 2021 living. And the first flows out of verse 1 through 3, and I'm going to phrase it like this, that as our life coaches, we honor our fathers for, number one, the biblical truths that have been taught. And you say, Gar, I haven't necessarily been taught a lot of biblical truths. Maybe you grew in a home where maybe they didn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, or maybe a father came to the Lord at a later stage of life, or maybe you're just not certain of his eternal uh, setting. Nonetheless, taking the ideal here now and allowing it to permeate within, within this sin-ridden society of ours, notice how all this begins to work itself out. Now, now that's a very contemporary word. Now. And this is the commandment, the statutes, the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. It's not coming from Moses, he's saying. It's coming from the Lord your God. I was commanded to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. This was the promised land. It's a land that's filled with spiritual chaos. It's untamed. They're going to be venturing in these people with a supposed loyalty to Yahweh, God. But at the same time, this is very multicultural. They have many gods, and now a collision course is about to take place. The question is, are the family units prepared? Same question has to be asked today. Are we prepping? Are we preparing? We can't assume America is a singular culture. Supposedly out of the many come one. But at the same time, there is a tearing at the fabric and, and believers have to understand that. So the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God. Camp on that for just a second, would you? The fear of the Lord is a rich concept throughout your Old Testament 
percolates through the first five books of the Old Testament. It carries with the idea of your response to God's word that results in faith in the Lord, love for the Lord, and loyalty to the Lord. Faith in the Lord, love for the Lord, loyalty to the Lord. Furthermore, it is the operating principle, the first principle of life. For in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, you see, that is served as a bookend experience for understanding how this response to God's word uh, brings about such faith in the Lord, love for the Lord, loyalty to the Lord. It is an operating principle. It is the first principle of life. And so we don't get ahead of first principles, do we? And so now, keeping first things first, this is how Moses wants to use as a starting point for moving forward into that land. That you may fear the Lord your God. But furthermore, and you're still in verse 2 with me, notice that this is a multi-generational visionary you and your son and your son's son. How does this relate to today? Let's say a father is speaking to a particular child. It doesn't matter if the child is five or 35. Never assume that this conversation is meant for a singular generation. Never assume that what is being communicated at this particular point in time is meant for that and that time alone. View this as an avenue for future generations. What will this child recall when the child grows up into manhood or womanhood? This is not a reservoir of truth. This is a channel for truth. And so always assume that the message of today is to be translated into a ministry for tomorrow where they take perhaps a memorable experience and now they've got to figure out how do I take the truth that was, that was gripped in within that experience now and transfer it into my own personal future. Reservoirs, no. Channels, yes. You and your son and your son's son, collectively daughters, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Sticking with this whole idea, if you forgive me for all the sports imagery. Um, special moment. September 14th, 1990, never happened before. I saw the game. Late in his career, Ken Griffey Jr., Sr., who had been a key member of the World Series champion Cincinnati Reds years before, was signed to play for the Seattle Mariners. 
what made the thing so beautiful was that his son, Ken Griffey Jr., was just starting his major league career. In the first inning of a game against the Angels, Griffey Sr. hit a home run to left center field. Now the rest of the story. His son followed him to the plate and hit another home run to almost exactly the same spot. Never before. Only time a father and son had hit back-to-back home runs in the history of baseball. Ken Griffey Jr. said later that his father greeted him at home plate saying, that's how you do it, son. Welcome home. Israelites are about to enter into the homeland, a promised land. Tensions that would await them at that time, tensions are there in 2021. They've got to bring the singular into the plural. And the earthly father has got to understand the principles of what, how the heavenly father wants to operate with this in mind. Welcome home, son. That's how you do it. Israel, this is how you do it. Chapter verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of, did you see this? Your fathers. Now what he's doing at this point is introducing the rich heritage of faith and how a heritage of faith should produce a heritage of faithfulness. As the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, what he now does is that he takes us from the past and then builds off the past and creates a bridge into the future. In other words, there's a retrospective looking back. There will now be an introspective looking within to be followed by a prospective looking ahead. Those that read the classics know the story of how Virgil wrote wrote that Aeneas found at Rome after the fall of Troy. And he said that Aeneas fled burning Troy with his father on his back, leading his young son by his hand. In other words, he was doing multi-generational. Visionaries do that sort of thing. And if you have the weight of responsibility as a single mom this morning, do it. If you have the weight of responsibility as a single dad this morning, do it. And we love you both for it. For as our life coaches, we honor our fathers for number one, the biblical truths. 
that have been taught. I want you to build a bridge between the retrospective, the introspective, the prospective, past, present, future, the past, hindsight, the future, foresight. Put it together and what do you get? Insight. Insight. And you're building a bridge from the text of God's word into the heart of that next generation or generations, you see. As our life coaches, we honor our fathers for then first of all, the biblical truths that have been taught. And if you're having trouble pondering what truths might in fact have ever been taught, look at the way in which God worked in, around, through, for all the various angles. I draw insights, pass them on. You're on to the second insight. Because now from verse 4 down to verse 9, as our life coaches, we honor our fathers not only for the biblical truths that have been taught, but now secondly, the relational flexibility that has been demonstrated. We've got to draw this out, don't we? So you're up to, uh, you're up to the Shema. This is so loved by the Jewish community, isn't it? And here it all begins with your verse 4. Because in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the centerpiece of the daily morning and evening prayer services for the Jewish people. It's considered by some to be the most essential prayer in all of Judaism. It's an affirmation of God's singularity and his kingship. And its daily recitation is regarded by traditionally observant Jews as a biblical commandment. And in the first verse of the Shema, the sixth chapter, you see, of Deuteronomy, this is among the most famous, the best known of all aspects of the Jewish liturgy. And it's recited that the climactic moments, the final prayer, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and traditionally as the last words before death. And when recited, it's recited with the hand placed over the eyes. And if you looked it up on the internet, go on YouTube and watch how the Shema is, is uh, presented, you will see all those facets on full display. There's a reverence there, which is to be attached with your God. But notice here, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now Moses is out on, in the plains of Moab, it's the upper desert discourse it's been lovingly described as. He's equipping the next generations. But for them to be able to handle the pluralism, the pluralistic culture of the land of Canaan, they're going to need to be able to counter it with the singularity of the sovereign God. 
So hear, O Israel, listen carefully. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. So there's the three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You shall love the Lord your God. And whenever this has been discussed in Islamic circles, when you're sharing the gospel, say, with somebody who's from an Islamic background, this is a foreign concept, to love Allah in their estimations. You fear Allah. But what he has now done for you and me is to be able to say, we can pull together the idea of the fear of the Lord with a love for the Lord. This, is, this seems like a, a conflict of interest to those outside of Christian circles. You see. But for the Christian, we get it. And we understand it, that God the Father would send the Son into the world to die for our sins. God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so you bring the singular into the pluralistic culture. And now what I want you to see here is that you shall love the Lord your God. Circle all the alls. Would you do that? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Never let people say that the Older Testament dealt with externals, and it's not until you get to the Newer Testament you deal with internals, because what we see here is that this is very consistent with the way in which the internal shapes the externals of life. God, when dealing with Saul, would say, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. We know who that's going to be. Because later when Samuel came looking for a king in the setting of Bethlehem, he thought he had come across the right one, tall, strong, majestic, handsome Eliab. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. On one of my shelves, there are a book of medical texts. This comes out of one of them. It's actually a, a history of medicine. And an anecdote from the listening end of the stethoscope. And some of you might recall the story when Dr. John Stone, not only a cardiologist, but a poet, begins this with the question, what kinds of music or noise arrive at the listening end of the stethoscope? Now his anecdote. He calls my office late Friday afternoon to say that his heart has been running away with him all day long. It's 35 has had an artificial aortic valve in place for 12 years. Out of curiosity, I ask him to place the mouthpiece of his phone firmly against his chest wall. I listen closely to the clicks of the artificial valve. They're easy to hear. His heart rate is very rapid, about 180 beats a minute and grossly irregular. 
Diagnosis is clear. He has a rhythm disturbance, atrial fibrillation. I tell him I'll phone in a prescription. He's to pick it up on his way home. Take three of the tablets, call me back in an hour or so. It's dark outside when the phone rings, but the news is good. A few minutes ago, abruptly, his heart slowed. A sense of fluttering in his chest vanished. I ask him to hold the phone against his chest. And over the phone, the clicks of his valve are slow and regular. I've never used the telephone as a kind of a long-distance stethoscope before. But it worked. Over the miles between us, he and I are smiling as we say goodnight. As Swindoll would put it, the heart is where life makes up its mind. It's the theological center of your inner core. It's where things get worked out. And the internal then shapes the externals of your life. But I want you to see here that this is extraordinarily comprehensive. Saul lived his kingship with a divided heart. God was looking for a king who had the heart of God. A whole heart, which is yours. So now, not once, not twice, but three times, the allness of awe kicks in in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And now, you have to verse 6. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. It starts there. And this life coach works it out. It flows from the innermost to the outermost. And now, again, repetition. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when, notice the whens, circle them. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, there's got to be extraordinary flexibility here in the way in which this life coach then communicates. Charlie Shedd described one of his original promises to, at that time, his tiny son Peter. I hope that I, I will be able to make Christianity seem so natural to you by the, what I teach and what I, how I live. It's natural. In fact, I think this relationship with God is the only thing that is 100% natural. We'll pray together until it's easy for you to put your arms on the windowsill of heaven, look into the face of God. Before I put you back in your crib, I want to tell you something about uh, what your brother Philip once said. We've been out in the country for a ride. It was evening. We ran out of gas. We were walking along after we had been to the farmhouse, and I was carrying a can of gas, and Philip was only four, and he was playing along, throwing rocks at the telephone poles, picking flowers. All of a sudden, it got dark, and sometimes night comes all at once in the country. Philip came over. 
put his little hand in mine and said, take my hand, Dad. I might get lost. Now in the lostness of a secular culture that emphasizes the plural, what the Father does is to communicate the I am the way, the truth, the life principle, first principles to the next generation's plural so that there's no sense of lostness in the midst of the cultural darkness. You see. And when we're functioning effectively that way, then what we can do is to take what is internal and allow it then to be able to be expressed in ways which are external. Look what comes next. Verse 8 and verse 9. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. It's already been in the heart, moves from heart to hand. You see? See the connection? They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And if you've been to Israel, you walk the streets of Jerusalem, you can see firsthand expressions of this very thing. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, is the operating principle here at this moment. So what you're doing then is that you are bringing the Shema into a a life-changing, ongoing, continual teaching opportunity no matter how old the child might be, no matter where things are at light, even if you feel like you're soldiering alone in it all, you're still teaching. So I get this, God, Dad, thanks to your lectures. I never change horses in the middle of a job worth doing. I know the squeaky wheel gets the worm, and I never count my chickens until I've walked a mile in their shoes. And you thought I wasn't listening. Love you, Dad. Love you, too. Yeah. It's the stuff of life. I love the fact that when you're teaching these things, the word here that's used when it says in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently, is a relational word, not a formal word. A conversational word, not a lecture word. And the word diligently carries with the idea of something which is of a sharp utensil. It cuts through. In other words, the life coach stays cutting edge, you see. He knows the scriptures, he knows the times, he communicates effectively. You're on to the third insight. That as our life coaches, and you're thinking about whether dad is with you or no longer so, you're thinking about how God worked in him or worked around him, worked through him, even unbeknownst to him or beknownst to him. We honor our fathers for not only the biblical truths that have been taught, number one, the relational flexibility that's needed, that's been demonstrated, number two. But now thirdly, the critical questions of life that have been addressed. Number three, 
You're picking it up now with me, aren't you? In verse, in verse 10, we're still there soaking in Moses' guidelines as our life coach. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, fathers, hindsight, retrospective. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give you its grace with good, great and good cities. Now, here's a humbling moment for all the self-made people. With great and good cities that you did not build, houses full of all good things you didn't fill, cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, you would have to exist before you existed in order to be a self-created person. There are no self-made people. Then take care lest you forget the Lord. In other words, you take your memories and turn them into ministries. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. There it comes back at you. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. He recognizes the pluralism of the culture, but he's bringing the singularity of his God to it all. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. But you notice in 1948... The Jews regained statehood. No Hittites, no Jebusites. Yeah, there are termites. But all in all, the promises to the Israelites. And then you think about the fact that Jesus Christ fully understood what this was all about, you see. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents didn't know it. Supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, began to search for him among their relatives, acquaintances, couldn't find him. Where is he? Uh, he's in the temple. He's sitting around the teachers. They're listening to the, as he's asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? Do you feel the tension between the earthly and the heavenly, uh, lowercase and uppercase? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them, and he went down with them, came to Nazareth, and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things. Where? In her heart. Corey Osbury. 
Sometimes on this journey, I get lost in my mistakes. It looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength. And my story isn't over. My story's just begun. Failure won't define me because that's what my father does. Yeah, failure won't define me because that's what my father does. So lay your burdens down. Here in your father's house. Check your shame at the door because it ain't welcome anymore. you're in the Father's house. And when you come to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit, through the one who said, no one comes to the Father but through me, you can embrace what 20 through 25 are all about. When your Son asked you in time to come, What's the meaning of the testimonies? All these formalities. Statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded you. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh, all his households before our eyes. That's justice. And he brought us out, that's grace, from there. That he might bring us in and gave us the land, the land that he swore to give to our fathers. He brought us out, he brings us in. That's how God works. If he brings you out, it's to bring you in. You see, he doesn't leave you in the wilderness. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes. See now he bookends. To fear the Lord our God. For our good always. That he might preserve us alive. We are this day. And it will be righteousness for us. If we're careful to do this commandment. That the Lord our God. As he has commanded us. So we drink this up, drink it in. Allow the internals to shape the externals. And then ponder Wiley. Johnny Hart's Wiley. B.C.'s Wiley. We're in that comic strip from several years back. Everybody don't awe have a father. Some there are whose dads have passed on. Then there's some who couldn't care less to family situations. Uh, Woe all begones. With dads, you just cannot reach out and nab one to pull the family out of despair. But if for some reason you don't have one, there's one on duty all the time. Up there. And no one comes to the Father but through the Son. Let's stand together.
We've spotted uppercase and lowercase fatherhood. We're teaching, talking to everybody as Moses did. Men and women, boys and girls alike. And we see how father, how the externals are to be statements of identification to a pluralistic culture of the internals, the realities of God who sent Jesus to die for our sins, the exclusive means of salvation. So for all those within the family units, first service, second service, online gatherings, present, future. May we take the sum total of the insights and principles that we are deriving from this text, relate them to the life circumstances we find ourselves in, address the plurality and the pluralism of our culture with the singularity of the one who is the way, and live life fully for your honor and your glory in giving you all the praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.